Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Let's head to Bumble and Don. This is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, uh, I have a 20-year-old home. I've been in it the whole time. And I don't know, five or maybe a few years ago, I had a little fine mist leak out of my copper tubing uh, on my high water side coming. It's probably as far as it run a pipe, it's probably 15 feet away from the hot water heater coming you know, out of the hot water heater. And it's a, verti- a horizontal run. And now, uh, yesterday I had another leak and then we fix that and we disturb something and beside it was another leak so that whole section of pipe i hope it's just that section i don't know if i have electrolysis and need better grounding or you have any ideas what would cause that on copper well if it's touching another type of metal uh electrolysis can happen and it'll get a pinhole in it um where the two dissimilar metals were touching. Now, there was another issue, though, with copper pipes. If you remember back when we had the issue with the uh, Chinese drywall? Yeah. Well, we had had a similar issue with Chinese copper pipes in that they were wearing and getting pinholes in them, something you never heard of on on American-made copper pipe and still don't. Uh, But the, the Chinese stuff was built inferior regardless of what the uh, stamps on them said and that that did and can happen to them and i don't know where they would have bought it it was the home builder in o2 uh holligan homes here yep unfortunately that's the right time frame for that uh, chinese copper pipe issue as well (laughs) Well, I was going to make me a new header come off there and just kind of replace what I could because once you get away from there, it's going to be a lot harder to get to. You hate to think sure. it through the whole house because it's been in that one area, that one joint of pipe every time. And, and so. you know, and that's, that's the issue. It it's probably is just that one joint, and you may be okay with the rest of it. Uh, so, yeah, let's just replace that one. And you don't have to necessarily replace it with copper. I mean, you can go back with a, a PEX run for just that one section and be just fine. That's not a bad idea. Uh, aren't the, isn't it supposed to be grounded where the main water line? Yeah, it used to be that the electric system's grounded through, uh, they tried that for a while, through the water system pipes, uh, but they did away with, with doing that. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I think they might have done it on the koozie tub. Um, okay. I, <laughs> I, I know that the unions on a hot water heater, you know, they're the insulated type, so it, I don't have a metal-to-metal hookup or nothing. So, right. Um, all right. I'm, yeah, I've but it, it, can be something as, it, it can be something as simple as there was a, a nail or even a staple in a, in a uh, you know, two-by-six ceiling joist that the pipe was sitting on. In that area. Pardon? There is, there is a staple, and it only goes into the wood. So yep. you mean, even though it's not going, that shouldn't, uh, well, they got them all through the house, though. 
Right, but it would have to be touching one of the pipes. Yeah, it's holding it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's a dissimilar metal, it would count. So if it's copper, I'm good? Yes. Yeah, if the staple I was copper, then copper. you'd be okay. But uh, if it's not, then no, you're, you wouldn't be. Okay. I had heard that I that I needed to ground my main water line to prevent that from happening. I don't know if there's any truth to that. No, nah, that's, that's not going to prevent what you've got going. All right. Thank you, Jim. Love the show. You bet. Thank you, sir. Bye. Take care. Let's head to McKinney. And, Ken, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I have a shower floor with tiles on it. Like eight years old, and it's just impossible to keep clean. My wife said, "Well, can we just put a fiberglass shower base in there? Is that possible?" <laughs> yes, but okay. in order to do that, you would have to remove the lower levels of tile on the walls. Mm -hmm. So, and then you know, put something something else in its place. So if you can get, if you still have some of the tile, it it would actually be easy to do. Uh, if you don't have mm -hmm. the tile, then you can find something to complement what you got. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, because I measured it, and it's like three foot wide, but then it's like three foot ten inches long. Now, that's going to be a problem with the size. No, because you can actually get them custom made. Okay. All right. Okay. Because it's a step, and it drops down like four inches to walk in. So that will still work with it being a step-down shower like that? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, who do I call? Especially, uh, you know, actually, uh, I think it, even Floor and Decor, I think, has a source now for having those made. So you can, ch oh, okay. uh, you can try Floor and Decor. Um, okay. And if not, the box mm -hmm. stores even can have them custom made. You know, like Lowe's okay. and Home Depot. Yes, okay. Now, who, who do I call a, a Beth or remodeler to do something like that for me? If I had to have someone do it, or a plumber, or what? Yes, uh, it would be a, a remodeling company that would do it. And okay. by having them do it, you don't have to worry about ordering it, because they will. I have a solid 6 by 8 post that has started to rot from the bottom, probably caused by a sprinkler head positioned 2 feet above the ground. There's a window, then the masonite, surrounded and then uh, the large post on either side of the window that extends from the foundation to the awning overhang. I don't know if I can cut two feet of the post out without causing structural damage. I am unsure what type of contractor to contact. I have pictures that I can send. Well, uh, Sherry, from what you just described... This post is up against the house itself, the way it sounds. It's a six by eight post that started to from the bottom up sprinkler head position. Okay, so uh, if if it's what I'm thinking it is, it's a decorative post that's running down the side, each side of the window. And if that's the case, it's actually not a structural thing. It's it's tr strictly a cosmetic thing. And yes, you could cut the bottom off place another piece there now i'm going to tell you up front that's going to show but what you can do then is just put a piece of trim around it 
and in order to cover where that joint is. Now, if it is a structural post, it can still be cut off and trimmed that way. But you can't use just a small piece of trim. Uh, if you're going to have a structural one, you got to do a, a little bit more um, substantial trim or a way to lock the, the, the new piece onto the old just to strengthen it up. But absolutely, you can take it out and and fix it that way and not have to worry about it. And again, from what you described, if, it, if it's up against the wall, you know, where uh, and like brick comes to it on one side or something like that, that's not structural. Uh, that's just part of like the brick veneer. And you could take all the brick off the house. You could take those posts off, everything. And the house would still be standing there because the true support portions of the house is the, sh- is the framework. So you don't have to worry about it. Glenn, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, long-time listener of the show. Uh, just a quick question. want to get your thoughts. Um, uh, privacy fence between you know my neighbor and I. That area stays pretty damp uh, and kind of muddy, regardless if it's recently rained or not. I'm thinking maybe a pipe leak. Um, don't really know how to go about addressing it. My water bill's pretty pretty consistent. Uh, my neighbor, she's a single lady, and her water bill is a little excessive in my book. I'm thinking maybe she may have a leak. What's your What's your thoughts on going about addressing that? Well, if there is a leak, you know, she she definitely wants to get it taken care of because it's going to cost a whole lot more than just the water loss she's having. It'll start tearing up the fence because it's going to rot the boards and stuff. It's going right. to start moving the foundation on her. Uh, really, she needs to be approached and say, look, we need to find where this leak is and, and get it addressed. Uh, given what you're saying as far as it's always leaking and running a water bill a little bit what kind of water bill are we talking uh i average around a hundred bucks a month or so my wife and i with two two kids and hers is roughly the same if not a little higher uh you know honestly that may not be that far off i mean depending on how she waters and does things like that but um you know the first thing I would do, if it was me, uh, I would shut everything off in her house. All the valves the, to the toilets, the refrigerator, shut the valves off under all the sinks, everything, and check the meter. And see, you know, the meter will, typically has two dials. The larger one, you won't see it move. But there's typically a little triangle. And if you see that triangle doing any movement of all, there's a leak. Then you okay. can... Then you can bring in a leak detection company, find out exactly where that leak is. But there's no point in bringing them in if that little dial's not moving. Because then it's not in the water line. Now we're going to be looking for, okay, do we have a a sewer leak of some kind? Or do we have something else that could be causing this? Like if she has an irrigation system, for instance, the primary line going to the first solenoid could have a, a a little leak in it. Something like that can cause these issues as well. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Uh, I appreciate your time. appreciate your help. Uh, I'll definitely uh, get the water shut off and see if there's any movement on that meter. All right. If you need any help with it, give us a holler. Going to Southeast Houston. Hello, Toby. 
Hey, guy. Okay, so this is my question. When, you know, the foundation is on dirt, it's on mud, it's on clay, it, it is what it is. When you, uh, if you want to bring in a, a, a piling to reinforce the foundation, that that piling is still on a pile of mud, right? And so how, how is it going to, you know, make it... How's it work? Yes, it, yeah. Give, give, give me a... Well, you're going to get you're going to get the the uh, preliminary then to Foundation Repair 101, which I got to go teach on Friday at the uh, National Foundation Repair Association, going over the the different repair techniques and and uh, how they work. So, which type of peering system are you looking at? Oh, and it's you know it's a Ryland home just a, just. I don't have a problem. I'm I'm looking at the. I'm just warned about the scientific end of it. Like, how does the pilings stick to the mud so okay. that they don't sink further well, in because they've already done that before? Right. It, uh, if you're using the precast concrete piles that are driven in the ground with hydraulics, the way they work is it's a six-inch diameter s- cylinder. 12 inches long, you basically dig what's a their, hole. What's their, what's, what's their base? Their, well, that's their what, base is, is still just mud. No, that's what I'm getting to, though. So you dig a hole 27 inches below the bottom of the grade beam. You set that in the bottom of the hole with an electric over hydraulic jack on the top of it. And you throw the switch as though you're going to pick the, the house up. Instead of the house going up, the piling starts pushing in the ground. And you just keep adding sections, pushing it in the ground. And each section that's pushed in the ground builds a little bit more skin friction on it. And you're also... You, all, you, almost, you almost sound like you know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I might have done this a time or two over the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah. And, but basically what it's doing is it's consolidating the soil because it's okay. displacing the soil... And as it's doing that and being pushed in the ground, it builds skin friction on the piling itself. And when you watch them build a bridge, uh, they do the same basic thing. You'll see them out there with a long steel rod that they're pounding into the ground underneath all those concrete columns you see. Mm -hmm. That's a piling as well. And it works off the same principle of skin friction. I know know about benchmarks and how they do yeah, drill uh, copper rods way down into the, you know, the base rock. To right. So each one is self-testing. You just keep driving it until you can't go any further, and that's how you know you've gotten yeah, it deep that, enough yeah, to you, hold. Yeah, you drill too. Yeah. Okay. I got that. All right. Well, thanks for the education. Uh, every day I get smarter. So thank you. You bet. You take care. And, yeah, I mean, that's the way a precast concrete pile works. Now, you got steel piles, you got helical piers, you got drilled piers, you got bell bottoms, and, you know, they all are there for a reason because they all work. The thing is, you got to use the right type of underpinning system 
for the type of soils that you're dealing with. And that's what a lot of companies miss sometimes is they don't make a change based on the soils they're dealing with. That can be the kiss of death on that peering system. Going to West Houston. Nathan, you having a good day today? I'm having a great day. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Good. Uh, thanks for taking my call. My question for you is on AC vents. I have my AC vents in my house. There's some discoloration around there. And the the vent itself, the, the metal part, I think I'm going to have to replace that, which I don't mind. But there's some some darker colors around there. What would you recommend as far as cleaning that? Well, those metal vents, you can take those off and, and clean them and probably put it back up. Uh, but the black that you're getting uh, can be a couple of things. Now, when you say it's on the vent, is it like a circle? And have you tried touching one of them? No, no, I haven't. I haven't touched touched it. No. Okay. Are they circle or is it just along the louvers themselves? It's it's along. It's on the louvers, on the metal portion around it, and then out on the wall itself also. Okay. And the reason I'm asking those questions, if it's getting a lot of moisture through it, you can start developing some mildew and stuff. That will typically be round on the metal louvers and stuff. When it's coming along just the, the fin's edge and coming out onto the ceiling and everything, that's usually an indication there's a leak in the system somewhere that's drawing uh, dust and stuff from the attic. And what you're, what you're seeing is the, the buildup of the, the dust from the attic. I see. So, okay, okay, I understand. And so typically that's actually not a, a huge deal usually. Uh, it's it's a matter of just getting an AC guy up there to follow the, the lines and find out where the leak is and, and take care of it. How, how old a house is this? Uh, 23 years old. Okay, so you've probably still got the original ductwork and um, something has just given loose probably. Okay, well, uh, as far as on the wall... What would you recommend? I mean, I understand what you're saying about taking the, the metal portion off and right. cleaning that. But as far as what's on the wall, what would you recommend for that? Well, typically what you're going to have to do with it is is clean it first and literally just paint. Okay. Uh, now, when okay, when you say clean, you just mean clean the metal portion? or No, clean, you, 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 clean the sheetrock as well. Um, you know, uh, now if it's, a, it's, if it's on the ceiling and... A house from 23 years ago is not going to have popcorn ceilings. That's going to be probably a, uh, a uh, orange peel or splatter type finish. So you can literally just take a uh, damp rag or sponge and clean it. Let it dry good, and you can go ahead and paint then. Okay. Now, as far as a damp rag, you you mean just damp with water, or is there yep. some type of solution I have to put on? No, nah, no, because this, I'm I'm thinking what you have is just dust, so there shouldn't be any reason to have to use any any type of solution of any kind. Okay, okay, great, great. All right, well that answers my question. Thank you very much for your help. You bet. You have a great afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye. And again, our number seven one three two one two five eight. Seven, four. Now, if you did have some black mildew on there, 
that's a different thing. That's typically an indication you need to get your unit serviced because it's blowing moisture through. An AC unit's supposed to be taking moisture out of the air. And if it starts blowing moisture through, the lines themselves will start to develop mildew and, and, uh, and stuff, and it, it can come out. Then you would clean the sheetrock and have to prime and seal it. Uh, I typically recommend using a product called Zinzer, Z-I-N-Z-E-R, Primer Sealer. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's head uh, David in Dallas. Welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Yes, sir. I've got a question about the attic fans everybody seems to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, I have what I've been told by my AC company. I've got enough. I've got sufficient uh, insulation on the attic floor. Uh-huh. And I've got five whirlybirds that are active and working. And I've been also told my soffits are clean and open and active and all all that stuff is doing well. I'm just wondering at what point might a attic fan benefit me? Doesn't sound and like it would. You said it said it wouldn't? No. Doesn't sound like it. Uh if you've got good air I mean passive airflow is always the best. Okay. And if you've got adequate passive airflow, there's no reason to be putting fans in. Okay. All righty. Well, then I'll save my money. There you go. I can give you an address to send it to if you'd like. (laughs) No, I think I I was thinking about putting it on the windows if I don't use it on the attic. There you go. Anne in Houston, how can I help you? Uh, Yes, I have um, a row of bricks under the threshold. And it's been getting a lot of effervescence on it, and now I see that it, the brick is starting to deteriorate. Yep. Do you have any solutions? Typically, that's an indication that you're getting moisture coming up through the concrete. Right. And most of the time, uh, it starts happening because drainage has an issue somewhere. Um, you know, the, how old is this home? Uh, about 40 years. Yeah. But the front the front door is set back into, um, it, it doesn't get any um, direct rain there. It's about three feet from the... Well, it, it would be subsurface water that causes this. Be- because what the effervescence is from is moisture's coming up through the concrete from the bottom. Mm-hmm. And it, it has a chemical reaction with some of the stuff that was used in the ma- making of the concrete. There was either something on the rock or on in the sand, and that chemical reaction is what makes the effervescence. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not a matter of the rainwater getting onto it, but it could be I, – I, I've, I've got a house in uh, Deer Park that I'm getting ready to, to change the drainage on for somebody uh, – because her backyard over the years has has filled up, you know, just from grass clippings and stuff. When a house is originally built, you'll typically have like four or five inches of, of foundation showing. As it ages and we well, we plant, we put plants around it, we cut the grass and, and we bring in soil and stuff. Before you know it, you've got one or two inches of, of foundation showing under the brick line. And that allows moisture then to start building up and traveling through the concrete. 
not to mention if you don't have good drainage going around the house, you start getting areas where water puddles and stuff. All that creates a static pressure under the home that allows the moisture to push up through the concrete and that causes this effervescence problem. Okay, good. Well, the problem is inside the house I have an eight trim. So Ooh, that I know makes, the, that can make it yeah. even worse. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I know it drains. There's uh-huh. a drain in there. And my front door is not near the, you know, like it's um, halfway between uh, the two outer walls. Right. So could it be coming from the atrium? Yes, ma'am. It can, and, come in, it can come from anywhere in the house uh, or around the house, I should say. But the atrium is, is a very a very likely source of it. Okay. Now, so and, would... and if that's the case, that, that typically is, especially if it has a drain line, if that drain line is, is actively working, um, yes, it is. That, that actually makes it where the, it can usually be easily rectified. And who would do that? Well, Do West can help you with that. I mean, we do drainage all the time. It's, it's just a matter of dealing with the drainage. Okay, so it would just be a call for someone to come out and look at it and tell me what needs yes, to be done. Yep. Okay, that sounds good. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. You, you bet. You take care. Bahina in Sugarland says, I have a 20-year-old home, and I'm replacing the my carpet on the second floor. Since the carpet will be removed, I'm thinking of... Sus- soundproofing the floors to reduce traffic and general noise which i know will be a lot more work and money but worth it since i'm going to live in the house for a long time what can i use to soundproof ceiling between floors so it will reduce traffic noise okay if you're putting carpet in that in itself is going to help a lot uh the patty itself can make a a big difference on the noise and the type of carpet you put in. Obviously, you put in a a flat nap type carpet versus a, you know, taller shag type carpet, it's going to make a difference. So that would be the first thing I would tell you is, is the carpet actually will help. But they do make for soundproofing between floors a product that goes on the floor joist before the plywood goes on. So in order to do this, you would literally have to take the plywood up, put this material, and it's kind of like a felt uh, type material, down on the floor joist, then the plywood goes back on. And basically what it's doing is it acts as a cushion between your floor decking and the floor joist so that the sound doesn't just travel straight through to the lower levels through the boards. Um, it, without having to take the plywood up, uh, the padding's going to be probably the biggest way to reduce it. Um, beyond that, you're going to get into stuff that's just really going to be more expensive than needs to be spent to on soundproofing. But the, the next level would be, like I said, the the material to to take up and and put on the floor joist itself. So you do have an option there, uh, but personally, I would spend more money on a denser padding 
and be done with it. I had an email from JV and Saxe, and purely comparing A versus B, which do you think would be the best option to use in helping to condition a typical garage space? Mini split AC system, one, uh, 115 volt ductless versus a larger BTU portable AC. A window unit is not an option. The portable is obviously cheaper, but taking into account how much electric each uses, ease of installation, usage, longevity, effectiveness. The garage will be treated, insulated, radiant barrier, gaskets at garage door. Thanks for your input. Well, you know, if you're going to insulate it, you're going to treat it and, and you know, uh, seal it and do all the stuff, then obviously the mini split's going to make it more like a regular air-conditioned space. The uh, BTU portable AC unit, you know, uh, those things, they are nice for just that, a portable unit, a temporary type thing. So you, you're not really telling me how much you're going to use this garage space, but I'm going to go with the assumption that you want to be, be able to use it all the time. The ductless system is going to be the way to go. Is it going to cost you more? Absolutely. Without question, it will. But here's going to be a, a huge difference for you. Someday, if you go to sell the place, that garage is now considered air-conditioned space. If you use that portable, uh, it's never going to be considered air-conditioned space. It's still always going to be treated as a garage. Why is that critical? makes the house worth more. Um, but beyond that, it's definitely going to be cheaper to operate than that portable unit. It's going to last longer than that portable unit, but it's going to cost multiple times more expensive than that portable unit. So that is something that you'll want to look at. But if you want to put in a system, put it in, be done, forget about it, the mini split's going to be the way for you to go. And this is now for everybody listening. I am not telling you to use mini split systems in your garage just the way it sits. If you're going to do it, you have to do like they mentioned in this email. Put in the insulation, seal the doors, do those kind of things to make that usable space. That's what makes this work. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 